Thanks. So warm good morning, good afternoon, and good evening to all uh, here. As we come together from different time zones around the world, I see Iraq, Mauritania, and French Polynesia, and some other countries, you know, represented all in different time zones. Uh, my name is Nishu Kol, and I work as the director for Earth Day in South and Southeast Asia. Um, I basically, my role is to provide inputs for the strategic development of programs uh, and campaigns in the region. And one of the campaigns that I lead is called My Future, My Voice, uh, that brings together young environmental leaders from uh, around the world to work towards the common aim of restoring our Earth. Uh, we launched this campaign last year on the 50th anniversary of Earth Day. Um, in a bit of crisis since last year was uh, when COVID happened and we couldn't do on-ground commemorations and had to move digital. And uh, we came up with this idea of bringing together, you know, young dynamic energy from different parts of the world together so that there is a, a huge storehouse of knowledge that, you know, these young leaders are doing. And I'm very proud to state that today we have some 165 young leaders from 82 countries part of the campaign now, some as far as Brunei and Timor-Leste and Mongolia, and the recent additions being French Polynesia, uh, Cuba. Honestly, this campaign has really uh, helped me understand the world uh, geography much better. That, so that's uh, one of the great learning personally for me. Um, and all of these youth leaders, they are brilliant because they work towards a greener, cleaner and less polluted earth. Um, our youth ambassadors, as we call them, and uh, Renaud is one of our youth ambassadors, uh, they work in different uh, environmental areas, ranging from protecting the biodiversity to increasing the green cover, sustainable fashion that we're going to talk today, and uh, curbing the food waste, and so many uh, more uh, you know, uh, themes uh, around environment. Uh, therefore, this initiative really places at center stage the role that youth play as responsible and environmentally friendly citizens in different countries. And we work to highlight their stories through, uh, through our website, through our social media. We have a My Future, My Voice Facebook page as well, uh, really to solidify and bridge uh, youth, you know, this dynamic youth network together so that there is more cross-sharing and learning of um, uh, environmental acts that they do. Um, and today, I'm very proud to say that to inspire and motivate our youth, uh, we've launched IDEAS, uh, which really stands for, and thanks to Karnalji for giving us that name. It was just in a, uh, you know, just a random discussion that she said, why not call this uh, series an IDEAS series, uh, which is Inspiring Dialogues for Environmental Action series. Uh, wherein each month we invite eminent personalities and well-known uh, environmentalists to share about their experiences and lessons with our youth ambassadors and other young climate leaders. Uh, and our hope really is that through these inspirational talks, our youth ambassadors not just get inspired, but also gain knowledge to continue and lead, uh, to continue to lead because they're already leaders you know, in their sphere. So this will help them uh, to to get new ideas on environmental issues and how others are dealing uh, dealing with that, uh, with that. Um, and I'm very uh, you know thankful to uh, our guest speaker today, who's also an EarthDay.org ambassador, uh, an actor, a producer, and an ardent zero waste advocate from Malaysia, Melissa Tan. We're very thankful, uh, Melissa, for for your agreeing to talk to us today. And we're also very thankful to our very efficient youth ambassador from Malaysia, Renaud, uh, who will moderate the talk today on the topic sustainable fashion and zero waste living. 
um, as most of you here know, uh, and as we were speaking just before the session started, fashion industry has an enormous environmental impact. Um, not just over consumerism that seems to have created a havoc um, for the environment, all you know, soil, water bodies, and sky. Uh, it's you know, it's, I don't know how many of you know, but fashion industry is one of the one of the most pollution-creating uh, industries. Uh, Eighty-five percent of clothes end up in landfill. Add to this the greenhouse gas emissions uh, that you know clothing industries produce, and the fact that fashion uh, industry is also one of the biggest contributors to the ocean microplastics. I'm sure today's session will you know unravel more of these issues uh, in the fashion world, and Melissa, being an expert in this space, and you know an actor herself, she had highlight more about the issues that the industry faces and how uh, one can really move towards zero-based living and towards sustainability in fashion. Something that I am also looking forward to understand you know, in greater detail, because this is something that will really help us restore our earth, which is the product of the biggest year. Uh, and uh, before I hand it over to take the discussion forward, I'd like to briefly uh, set the agenda for today. Uh, this is going to be an hour-long discussion. And we will have time for questions and answers uh, in the end once the talk is over. So I would request all the attendees here to uh, either raise your hand in the in the chat box and we can have you directly ask your questions. Um, or you can also, there's a Q&A button uh, down below. You could also ask your questions there. And our moderator will um, uh, you know, help uh, address those through our speaker and uh, you know, whoever uh, is experting here. Without any further ado, I would like to now request uh, the regional director uh, Asia of EarthDay.org, Mrs. Karna Singh, to share a few words and her pearls of wisdom before we move to Melissa and Jana. Uh, thank you all, and I look forward to this talk today. Please stay with us. Thank you very much, Nishu. And on behalf of EarthDay.org, let me also extend our welcome to Melissa, to Renaud, and to all the many participants who have joined us, as Nishu said, from different corners of the world. Uh, we have learned so much geography by the new ones that have come in from places that are more remote, which may not be there in our everyday dealings. So thank you very much and how proud we are of you, Melissa, and how proud we are of Renaud and all the other uh, 164 ambassadors that we have from different parts of the world. Let me just say that when I read your bios and when I talk to you and when I see what you have done, I sit back comfortably and say the world is in good hands. My generation has ruined it, but you are taking it forward and God bless you all for doing that. But let me also say that you are really doing it for your own benefit, because I may have maybe 10 or 15 years of life left, but you have so many more years and are your bodies going to be taking the attacks of pollution against them. So do it for yourself and do it for us also, because the enthusiasm you have, the way you all work, it is fantastic. We will all benefit because everybody on earth is an earthling first and then from any particular city or a place or a country. So we are all beneficiaries of what you do. Thank you so much, Earth Day ambassadors 
for all the fantastic work you do. I would really like to congratulate you and thank you for doing that. As Nishu mentioned, I'm with birthday.org and uh, this organization has been in effect since the last 51 years. And today it encompasses engagements with all, over 50,000 organizations in some 190 countries to take the environmental movement forward. Every year we have a global theme. This year's theme is Restore Our Earth. And all the work you do, whether it is in regrowing you know, the greenery, whether it is replenishing the aquifers, whether it is rethinking helping people rethink their minds to give up, you know, practices that are increasing their carbon footprint. Everything is helping restore our earth. So thank you again. And back to you. We look forward to a very nice evening of learning about sustainable fashion, one of the most polluting industries, unfortunately, Melissa. But tell us how to be fashionable and still be sustainable. Thank you very much. Thank you so much, Karuna and, and Nishu for having me here today. And I'm really encouraged to see so many people show up for this discussion. So hi, everyone. I'm Melissa. Let me just try and work my slides here. Um, why don't we keep this a little bit more interactive and just pop into the group chats. What is the most common reason for you to shop for fashion? Just so we get an understanding of your relationship with it today. So hi, I'm Melissa. I'm a host, an MC, an actress, a zero waste advocate. And for many years, I worked in the fashion industry as a model. So in other words, I wore a lot of clothes. And there was always this expectation to dress well. But over the years, I've discovered that there's so much that we can do um, sustainably. And in the last three years, almost four years, I have not bought anything new. So I'll be sharing insights from my experience in fashion and entertainment to have this conversation with you today about our relationship with fashion. We're going to be looking at the fashion industry today and then uh, see how we can enjoy fashion more sustainably and reframe our relationship with it through seven ways to explore a zero waste wardrobe. Once again, if you have any questions, we'd love to take them at the end of the session. So. This might be a familiar sight to a lot of us, right? A full wardrobe with just like heaping piles of clothes in it. And yet sometimes when we stand in front of it, we think, I have nothing to wear. So what is our usual response? Go shopping. <laughs> I have nothing to wear, I buy something. I have an event to go to, a wedding this weekend, I buy something. We're solving all these little problems with money. And over the last couple of decades, this has evolved into a habit of overconsumption. And in the fashion industry, this is primarily filled with the growth of fast fashion. And as Nisha and Karuna has so helpfully pointed out, it is a very toxic, polluting industry where we produce and consume faster than ever before. So it's definitely not good for the planet. The fashion industry contributes over 8% of total greenhouse gas emissions. And that is no laughing matter in today's climate crisis. So much goes into a garment to get it into our wardrobes. Just check out all these steps here. Every step requires a lot of energy, resources, and all these multiple steps. They require heavy use of labor, water, land. It releases harmful emissions at every step to our air, our water, our soil. 
just for example, looking at the first step, raw material extraction, just to grow the fibers that are required to make the fabric, we cause deforestation to make wood pulp like viscose. We deforest to grow cotton, to graze cattle for leather. We extract resources like petroleum to make polyester, which then releases microplastics into our waterways with every wash. And what about the water that we're consuming to make our clothing? For a cotton t-shirt, that takes about 2,700 liters of water. And just to kind of put that into perspective, that's enough for one person to drink for two and a half years. That's a very scary fact, considering that only 3% of Earth's water is fresh water. There's all these chemicals that goes into the production of our garments like pesticides and insecticides that go into cotton crops that then go on to affect ecosystems and biodiversity. And what about all the chemicals in our clothes? The treating, to make it sweat proof, to make it softer, the dyeing, the um, bleaching, the fire retardants, it goes on to pollute waterways and rivers because a lot of the fashion industry is not well regulated. So every step has an impact, and yet we use it for shorter and shorter periods of time. Uh, and as you would notice, it is a very linear system. It only goes one way because more than, more than 95% of the resources that goes into our garments, um, they don't get recovered. So less than 1% of garments are actually uh, recycled back into new garments. It's definitely not good for people. The apparel industry is made up largely of women and is intricately linked with human rights abuses, both child and forced labor. So at this current moment, they estimate that 20% of the world's cotton comes from Xinjiang, so linked to Uyghur forced labor. A lot of the garment industry uh, has workers that are overworked, underpaid, living with poverty wages, even here in Malaysia. Uh, there's a lot of, it's rife with abuse. And just to give an example, in the first three months of COVID, COVID last year, garment workers were owed 3.2 to 5.8 billion dollars in wages because all the shops just shut and everyone wasn't spending money so what the brands did was they cancelled orders and they stopped paying the factories and workers even though the garments were already made garment workers work in very unsafe conditions uh they often work in very unsafe conditions without any choice you know that's the only job that they can get uh, a lot of you would have seen this, uh, the collapse of Rana Plaza in 2013 that killed 1,134 people and injured more than 2,000. Um, for many days before the Rana Plaza disaster, the factory owners and the factory owners knew that it was unsafe to go into the building, yet they forced uh, all their workers to come in anyway. Um, and that led to the loss of their lives. And that also sparked the uh, formation of Fashion Revolution, the largest global fashion activism movement that campaigns for fair, for a clean and fair fashion industry. Government workers are often 
exposed to harmful chemical and dyes, often with very little production uh, protection. Sorry, uh, this is a documentary that is available for free for you to watch. It's a short one, nice and sweet. Um, the Toxic Price of Leather, which covers the story of Kanpur, India, where workers and locals suffer serious skin conditions because of the leather industry. There are so many problems with the fashion industry apart from this, you know, cultural appropriation, stealing from uh, designers for mass production. But despite all these distressing impacts, as fast as we're making them, buying them, we're also throwing them quicker and quicker. Most of it is only used briefly before we discard or donate. But donation really isn't a solution because a lot of fast fashion is poor quality with very re little resale value and there's just too much of it. So not only that, it often gets shipped into other countries, uh, developing countries where it overwhelms the local fashion industry. So the local fashion industry cannot compete with all these cheap clothing uh, that are that is coming in. So because of that, most fashion is landfilled or incinerated, uh, estimated at 73%. And we're creating 92 million tons of textile waste per year. So it comes to the question, is fashion sustainable? Is fashion ethical? Because of fast fashion, we are very far from it. <laughs> there just simply isn't enough resources. And at the rate we produce and consume, we treat everything as disposable. Uh, it's just not sustainable. And at this point, you might say, uh, but we have a right to fashion. I can't wear no clothes, right? And fashion is about self-expression. But let's take a look at how we're consuming fashion today. The average consumer now buys 60% more clothing than they did in 2000, but keeps each garment half as long. All this clothing being so cheap now, it's all this choice is often viewed as a sign of prosperity and abundance. See, I'm doing well, right? Because I can buy more clothes now, but it's actually very costly because as we discussed, it causes a significant environmental uh, impact and human impact. And a lot of the purchases we're making, they're very motivated by marketing. We used to have four seasons in a year, summer, summer spring, fall, winter. I know not so relevant in our side of the world, but now we have 52 micro seasons, uh, a season every week. The fashion industry needs us to buy at breakneck speeds because they make at breakneck speeds. For example, Fashion Nova, a popular fast fashion brand, they make 600, they release 600 to 900 styles per week. That's just one brand. Um, that's why they need us to buy that fast. So if we think about, does this all this does all this clothing really add to our well-being or give us value? Over the last few years, I've discovered that we're not only buying more, we're also buying repeats. I've often done wardrobe audits for myself, for my friends, uh, and there are repeated items in that. I don't even wear pants, but just before I went zero waste four years ago, I discovered that there was 36 pair of pants in my wardrobe and I have, have no idea how they got there. I don't even like wearing pants. So it's a myth that consumers always want something new because very often we're happy to rebuy the same or similar item over and over again. Uh, I worked a lot in e-commerce uh, in the fashion industry and in my very first year of modeling, 
to like four to five years later, I realized I was wearing the same things. There wasn't actually anything that was changing with the fashion. I was wearing a skater dress in the first year. I was still wearing a skater dress four to five years later. We we're just making and buying the same things. And of course, we get bored of them faster. We get rid of them faster because that is by design. All these cheap prices, they lead to a lot of impulse purchases. Uh, and because they're low quality, we use them very briefly. We don't actually really like them. We often buy them because they were on sale. So we're not really enjoying or getting a lot of utility out of fashion. One question I always like to ask myself is, will I buy this again if I had the choice? Um, oftentimes, the answer is no. So we, we're stuck in this vicious cycle of consumption where we spend a lot of money, time, energy, uh, just consuming. And it also affects our sense of self because how much of what we're doing with fashion is actually our true sense of style. We're more consumers now instead of exercising our creativ creativity, uh, influenced by templates that we see in fast fashion marketing. So I love fashion as much as you do, but our relationship with fashion is kind of out of whack. So what can we do? Let's reconsider the way we experience fashion. Whoopsies. Over the years in fashion uh, and as a traveling nomad, I was constantly traveling for work. Uh, usually in modeling what we do is we spend three months in a different country each time and and work and then we move on to the next country and I realized that for say three to four years what I was doing was I was living from my suitcase everything that was in my suitcase had to serve my purpose and I had to dress well for the job or I wouldn't book the job and I realized that it was so freeing like everything in my wardrobe I knew because it was just whatever was in the luggage and I knew that I could put a good outfit and step out the door ready every single day. But when I came home, I was faced with this again. So when I go back to Malaysia in between my, my placements, I would be confronted with this full wardrobe and I felt this sense of anxiety and like, oh, I just didn't like it. And I realized how, how beautiful it was just to operate from a wardrobe that had everything I have. And that wardrobe was much smaller than the one I had at home. So I realized that I wasn't actually happier with more clothing and I didn't need more clothing. I accidentally fell into minimalism. Minimalism isn't about decluttering or Marie Kondoing. It's about being conscious of what you're bringing into your life and why. Because a lot of times now we're consuming on autopilot, but if we buy less, buy intentionally and buy quality, you'll realize that we enjoy our possessions so much more. Little did I know, uh, I was actually operating from a capsule wardrobe uh, when I was traveling. A capsule wardrobe is a carefully edited and uh, wardrobe that is curated to its optimum amount and that amount is smaller than we think and usually you would notice who is operating from a capsule wardrobe because they're usually the best dressed in the room uh, because every day they're wearing their favorite outfit every piece in their wardrobe is their favorite outfit uh, one of my Zero Waste friends that I've learned from she's a French lady and she's she once told me Melissa, do you know why French women are so coveted for their style? 
It's because real estate in Paris is so expensive that apartments are really small and wardrobes are really small. So they didn't, don't just go out and buy stuff and bring it home. Every piece in their wardrobe is carefully put there. So how, so a capsule wardrobe, you know, it's about less is more. Everything piece is well-made, comfortable and suitable for your body type. And it's stylish. You gotta love every piece that's in it. It's also very versatile so that you can mix and match an infinite, infinite number of outfit, outfits from them. And before you think, uh, so I'm just gonna cover this briefly. Some of you may be familiar with the five R's of zero waste. Refuse. We refuse what we don't need. We reduce what we do need. We reuse and recycle over and over again and rot will be composting. So a capsule wardrobe hits all of that, uh, hits the principles of zero waste living. Uh, this is a capsule wardrobe by my guy friend. So he also travels a lot for work. And you will see that just from this uh, checklist of stuff that he has in his traveling suitcase, it is able to serve him in every condition, uh, whether it's casual, whether it's business, uh, it keeps us mobile and on the go while always putting our best foot forward. And before you think, oh, wait, I have a checklist. Uh, that means I have to have all these things to own a capsule wardrobe. Uh, don't go out and buy anything yet because one of my favorite things to do is to put this challenge forward for you to try for yourself. So a lot of times what we have already serves what we need. It's just that we cannot find them in our wardrobes because they're all like packed in there together. So Project 333 by Courtney Carver is a really cool uh, challenge that you can set for yourself. It's short term, you can take your time with it. It's where you only wear from 33 items for three months. This is for you to kind of exercise your cre your creativity and your critical thinking skills around your fashion. So take a look at your wardrobe, pick out 33 items, and that includes shoes and handbags, uh, accessories, but it doesn't include stuff like your sportswear, your pajamas and homeware. So anything you're going to step out of the house with, uh, wear these 33 items for three months. And you got to be really strategic with, with how you pick these pieces out. And usually what I like to put forward is, uh, in my mind, is uh, what if my wardrobe just burnt down this very second? Which of the 33 items would I save? And usually that will kind of help you decide. And you know, if this doesn't work for you after the first three months, that's okay. The rest of your wardrobe, just shelve them somewhere and then redo another capsule to kind of discover what really works for you because it's not going to be the same for everyone. It isn't just oh, white t-shirts, uh, jeans, uh, because we all have different styles and we all feel good in different things. So the lesson I want to take away from this is that you know, don't go out rushing to buy something because the most sustainable garment is the one already in your wardrobe. The next few slides I'm going to cover, let me see on time. Okay, the next few slides I'm gonna cover through seven different hashtags because, you know, Instagram and all that. <laughs> I used to discover um, the zero waste wardrobe through hashtags. Uh, that's how I used to share about my journey. So please bear with me over the next few slides, you, you'll see a lot of pictures of me, but that's, that's how I'm gonna communicate this. 
The first hashtag I'm going to go through is stuff I never wear. Uh, this was a game I used to play with a couple of stylists in the e-commerce, the uh, e-commerce e brand that I used to work with, uh, where we tried to make a new outfit every single day from the wardrobe that we have and to never repeat it. Uh, so fun fact, my friend went four months without repeating a single outfit. So the whole point of this exercise is to revive and rediscover what you have in your wardrobe because oftentimes it is hidden. You will rediscover magic that you never thought was there before, but because it was hidden, you just thought, oh, I have nothing to wear. I'm going to go buy something new. It's also a way for us to confront the pieces that we really know aren't going to make it uh, make make our, uh, that aren't going to serve us that well. So we can return those resources into the cycle. Uh, oftentimes what this does is also for you to exercise your creativity because every day I had to step out of um, my house with a new outfit, an outfit that I haven't uh, repeated before. So then that kind of jogged my creativity to see how I can put all these pieces together to make a good outfit uh, or, or else I just don't go out. Um, so that means, you know, I can kind of really see what is the potential of an outfit beyond what I usually do with it. Style repeats is a is a hashtag that was started by Ariana Huffington uh, a while back, and but there are def there are definitely a lot of similar hashtags. Uh, similar hashtag to this, it is to normalize the idea of repeating your outfits. Sometimes when, especially in the age of social media, when we see an outfit, we kind of feel the pressure to, oh, I can't let someone see this outfit again because they would have seen it on my Instagram. No, we got to normalize repeating our outfits again because it is just not uh, feasible for us to constantly be buying a, a new one each time. Work Your Wardrobe is another one that I like to use. It is the idea of really putting our wardrobe to work, uh, really reducing the cost per wear per item. Because oftentimes, even though fast fashion is cheap, if just say something is $50, but you only wore it once, the cost per wear for that was $50. But if I were to invest in a piece that was, you know, really good, that could serve me over and over again, that cost per wear is going to come down. So on average, each time, maybe it only cost me $5 to wear because I wore it 20, 30, 40 times. This is this was a secondhand dress that I really loved. Uh, I've worn this over and over again to different jobs, to different shoots. I even wore this to get married. Boredom buy is another thing, uh, another hashtag that I like to use because sometimes our wardrobe really doesn't have that thing we need. Um, you know, after we've already gone through the entire thing, uh, this is a way to access someone else's wardrobe instead of going to the shops. Uh, I usually borrow the clothes for a lot of my jobs from my friends. So, you know, we kind of there's this really weird thing where we see someone wear a really nice outfit and they're like, hey, where did you get that? And I'm going to go buy the same thing as well. Why are we doing that? Why don't we share our resources instead? And oftentimes, because this is very useful for things like events, weddings, seasonal clothing, like travel, because, you know, we're in a hot, we live in hot countries, right? And we're not going to go to a, somewhere for winter very often. This is very helpful because that means, you know, these resources get utilized a lot more when we're sharing them within our community. 
I also like to use this for sea travel. I don't have a lot of beach wear because I don't go to the beach. I hardly ever go to the beach. But when I go traveling, then I might want to look a certain way. So I go into my friend's wardrobes and start borrowing. I borrow them from work. Uh, on the left, I used to work in a co-working space where we had lots of fun costume parties, but costumes are often very single use. So for example, we had a Hawaiian party um, a, a while back and all I did was I went to my local buy nothing project. It's a free cycling group and I said, hey, who can lend me a bunch of Hawaiian shirts? So I borrowed Hawaiian shirts for everyone and nobody had to. Me and my friends, we didn't have to buy a single thing. And then we returned them after. If you don't have friends, don't worry, you can rent. So you're going to be borrowing from a business instead. And I know in our separate countries, um, they we would have variations of this. So if you just Google clothing rental or, you know, wardrobe uh, subscription, uh, this is where you can access their clothing. And that's going to bring down your cost uh, significantly as well, because sometimes, you know, the things that we wear, we want them to be a bit nicer. Uh, but this dress would have cost me like thousands of dollars. And now I'm only accessing it for a very small fraction of the cost. And this isn't just for, you know, fancy wear. I also use this for work. Uh, this is from a wardrobe subscription. And the next one I'm going to be talking about is to swap, swap, don't shop. Um, this can be held, this, the whole idea of swapping is, well, it, it explains itself. What we're doing is we're gathering all our unloved clothing from our wardrobes and just swapping them with each other because there's treasure in someone else's trash. Um, you can do this through closed group swaps. So just gather a bunch of your friends, um, have a date and just swap with each other. This can be in a public swap as well. So I usually host swaps in as a public event so that more people can access it. Uh, this is a way for us to rehome these clothes locally because oftentimes when we donate clothing uh, and it goes into a bin, the it takes considerable manpower and volunteer efforts just to sort through all these things. And a lot of them are not very helpful. For example, um, I often like to say to people, you know, the underprivileged, they don't need your crop tops and short shorts. They need sensible clothing. So this is a way for you to not only rehome your uh, clothing locally, you get to see the person that brings it home. What I love about clothes swaps is the idea of community behind it. You know, we're bringing back sharing within the community. Um, oftentimes, there are a lot of tr stories traded, like I will hear all the participants going, hey, um, that was the, the dress that I used to wear. It was my favorite dress before I got pregnant. Hey, I, that was the first, uh, that was the dress that I used for my very first job. So, you know, we, we get to appreciate all these clothing again and know the people that are, they're going to. Uh, some tips for clothes swapping is to uh, swap with people of similar sizes, one size up, one size down, because often in our clothes, in our wardrobes, we have stuff that's, oh, a bit too tight or a bit too loose for us. So then we get to benefit from each other. And you also get to experience different styles of clothing this way as well, because again, when we go shopping, we're actually buying the same things over and over again. So why don't we experience what is possible with someone else's uh, taste and style? Several other ways for us to access clothing secondhand is to shop secondhand. So this is true, you know, 
sales platforms, thrift shopping. Uh, there's this thrill of the hunt because whatever you're buying is going to be one, a one-off piece. You're not going to be walking outside and seeing someone else wear the exact same, pay, uh, same piece. Um, I find a lot of good stuff in thrift shopping and it's something that I've gotten my family and relatives into as well. So even the older generation, uh, my mom and she brings her friends to go thrift shopping now um, and they all are really experiencing this um, whole way of experiencing fashion that isn't built around consuming fast fashion. Uh, other places that you can get your so saw secondhand, these are a couple of different ways that I do it. I I have friends conmarrying, um, decluttering, and then they'll pass things to me that they think I'll enjoy. They, some of these things are also from Buy Nothing Project. So just a couple of resources for you to see. Uh, the top parts will be where you can access uh, through purchasing secondhand clothing. And then at the bottom is where we can get stuff completely for free. If you don't have a buy nothing project within your community, start one. So buy nothing project is the free cycling movement is all operating through just Facebook groups. Just for example, in my place, it will be like buy nothing project Kuala Lumpur, then everyone in Kuala Lumpur would join that group and just give away whatever they don't want. Or if they're looking for anything, it's usually available in the community already. It's just in someone else's house going unused. couple more things uh, taking care of your clothes you know not everything needs to be dry clean because dry cleaning also takes up a lot of uh, chemicals and energy uh, mending or repairing our clothes uh, it's a lost art really and with fast fashion being so often not well made it's you know all the stitches come out quite quickly and often people just throw them away instead of just repairing them uh, i often find garments uh, that aren't really quite my quite my style, but I really like the print on them. I will bring them to a tailor to alter into something that I would love, like the one on the right. Uh, and that's a way for me to also support my local seamstresses. So I hope by now it's obvious uh, that we don't really need to buy new when there are more than enough garments in existence. Uh, we have to continuously keep garments in circulation and give them a second life because a lot of them have a lot of life left in them. And that's, way, and that's one way we can you know, kind of really cut off uh, the environmental impact. But what happens if we need to buy new? So personally for me, that would basically only be underwear and socks. <laughs> the two things that I probably wouldn't be using secondhand. There are a lot of factors that we have to take into consideration, you know, buying from responsible business, you know, ethical and sustainable fashion brands, buying high quality so that we can really use them for longer and enjoy them. Uh, buying brands that, you know, prioritize using materials that are more eco uh, environmentally friendly. So instead of going for polyester or viscose or cotton, we want to go for things like bamboo, organic cotton, linen, recycled uh, polyester or tensile, one of my favorites. So consider the fabric and quality of the make because what we want to prioritize is wearing for the long run. Uh, one challenge that I could I can bring up is to think about how we used to consume fashion in the time of our parents and grandparents. They used to invest in, say, one piece a year. 
you know, and that's what made it sustainable because they weren't buying one piece, you know, every two days or every week. So if you only had to, you only could buy one piece a year, you would think really long and hard of how that piece is going to serve you. You're not going to take that decision lightly. And that's why sustainable fashion isn't actually expensive. You know, when we adopt slow fashion principles into our lives, fashion that respects people, animal and planet, um, it overall in every year, we're going to be spending a lot less than what we are currently. And it's also important for us to, you know, view it all as a whole because nothing in fashion is actually sustainable. Uh, if there are hundred different factors uh, to it being sustainable and a business only takes care of one factor, that means there are 99 others that they are not. So don't uh, just be aware that, you know, if someone is telling you that they're a sustainable business, ask more questions, you know, ask how it's made, who made it, are the people being treated well? You know, these are questions that we as consumers have to continuously push businesses to address. Beware of the greenwashing behind it. So, oh, I've gone for, I've gone on for pretty long, so I'm going to close up here. So the Recycling is not the answer, donating is not the answer, refusing is more effective. We've got to introduce back the circularity in fashion. The industry has to reduce overproduction, decarbonize, minimize manufacturing waste. We have to design waste out. And at, at this current point in time, recycling and donations are not a closed loop system. But through applying those hashtags uh, to those sustainable fashion practices, we can introduce elements of circularity into our fashion right now as consumers. Be an advocate, practice this in your life, ask who makes my clothes, what's in my clothes, because our relationship with fashion can be more sustainable, kinder to the planet, people and us. Thank you. Thank you. Yeah. Thank you so much, Melissa, like for the great insights and a lot of very interesting hashtags. Uh, I particularly like the one on Project 333, something that I'm definitely going to practice myself and see where that goes. Um, we do have quite a number of questions, and I'm very much aware that we only have um, 20 minutes, but let's try and see if we can get through most of them. So the first question that we have uh, from the audience or participants today is really how does one identify how green their clothes are. And also, if you could maybe just recap, what are some of the things that the younger generation, the youth in particular, can keep in mind when they're thinking about sustainable fashion? You're muted. You're muted. You're muted. No? Okay, so to recap all that, rediscover your wardrobe borrow before you buy, rent unlimited fashion, swap your wardrobe, source the secondhand market. And if, if, if you've exhausted all those options, choose better, choose sustainable, choose ethical. Uh, that's kind of like a nice little recap of whatever we just spoken about. Um, what was the other question, Ren? Sorry. Uh, how do we identify green, was it? Sorry, how do we identify how green our clothes are? Okay, a couple of resources I like to use is to focus on the business that is selling you the clothing. Uh, how, what are, what are their values? If they're, if they call themselves sustainable, yet they, they release like a thousand different styles every week, you know, how sustainable is that, you know, because it kind of breeds that overconsumption and overproduction. Uh, 
Good on You is a good website to uh, to kind of refer to because what they do is they kind of comb through the sustainability uh, statements of each fashion company and kind of give you a rating to see how far along are they in addressing those concerns. Uh, so that's kind of a nice little easy way to go about it. But most importantly, you know, we as consumers, we've got to ask questions, uh, be a little bit more be a little bit more inquisitive in the way our clothes uh, are made so that we can make better decisions really. And if, yeah, and and if they're not, then just ask the business to address those issues because they, they will listen to us. They are the consumer, we're the customer. If we stop buying, they're in trouble. Yeah, so, so one of the points that you pointed out earlier was to be really careful with greenwashing, right? Which happens mm -hmm. quite often, I would think, like among corporate friends, like what are some of the rates black that could sort of inform us that you're greenwashing, apart from the fact that, you know, you've mentioned that if, if you're supporting a brand that could be you know, like thousands of, you know, different clothes every single month, then it probably is a fun, so they're not correct. But are there any other factors that we need to look up for? Okay, that's a great question, Ren. Um, greenwashing is especially, especially rife in the fashion industry. Uh, I can think of like, you know, so many different uh, situations. Funnily enough, if they use the word sustainable, they're often greenwashing. <laughs> because remember what I said about like, if there are 100 factors, but they addressed one, and all they want to do is tell you about this one, look at this one thing I addressed, and forget about 99 others. That is kind of greenwashing already. You will notice a lot of like, trees and leaves and their marketing like everything looks kind of nice and green they will use words like nature they in fact sometimes i i don't like to say this but when a business tries to sell you clothing that is tied to a donation so like if you buy this t-shirt i will plant a tree that's greenwashing because they're not considering the entire environmental and human impact into going into that t-shirt that you most likely didn't even need um, to try and play to your values because they know that you care. So they're trying to incentivize you to purchase more in order to save the planet. Um, these are just some of the examples that I can pull up. No, that's wonderful. And I think this is actually a nice segue into the second question that, that we have coming from the audience. That is, you know, a lot of people say that sustainable fashion is very often they're not expensive because of that whole feel good factor, right? In the promotion and the way that they sell and they say that, oh, you know, your whole, this whole clothes that you're buying is made out of, you know, sustainable cotton. So so a lot of people have this perception that it's definitely more expensive than, than normal clothes. Like, it's not true. So sustainable, sustainable, I'm sorry, I'm going to have to keep doing this. Sustainable fashion is does cost more. But that's because it accounts for the cost of everything. So the reason why a $5 t-shirt is, is cheap is because every person, almost every person that was involved in it, in making that, is being underpaid. You know, they're being paid cents on a, on a dollar. Um, the stat that is often quoted is that for every, it only takes an increase of 1% on the retail price to be able to pay the worker fairly and yet they're not doing that mm. you know so it, it's 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 just about how important they are uh, sorry let me let me start again it's also we also have to think about cost per wear 
you know, it may be more expensive, but we're getting more use out of them. For example, I have a t-shirt from a brand that I really like. Uh, it cost me six times the amount of a t-shirt from H&M. Okay, it's made of tensile. It, they've audited the, 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 the factory that it was made to, you know, is really clean, it's really safe. All the workers are paid well, and that's why it costs six times more. But that t-shirt has that one t-shirt it's a white t-shirt and you know how easy like white t-shirts get messed up it has lasted me more than two years and i still love it today but if i bought a shirt from cotton on within two washes it will look pretty bad the cotton would have twisted already it would gone it would have faded there would probably be a fray or a tear because the cotton that you're using is not of good quality so how much did i really save from buying a 20 dollars t-shirt versus something that was six times more because I used it for two years over and over again. So this whole perspective of like sustainable fashion being more expensive, it is true, but it's cheaper for us overall because all this cost is being accounted for and, and treated fairly. Um, second of all, if it's totally understandable if sustainable fashion is not accessible to you because it's not accessible to me sometimes as well. That's why all the secondhand market is there for you to draw on because that's going to give you fashion that has no additional impact from production uh, at a very cheap price. And, and it's also one of those initiatives that you can embark on, right, through conscious fashion and, and the code walk that you're sort of doing here in, in Malaysia. And, and there, there's a very specific question, like on uh, perhaps you can share a little bit more about the process that you take, right, organizing the code walk. And also, how can we actually scale this up? Okay, I hope I caught most of that question. Sorry, that was breaking up a bit. Um, a good resource. Okay, so uh, I'm a part of Fashion Revolution, so the the, the global fashion activism movement. Um, they have a great resource online on how to host your own code swap. So it's a great PDF that kind of tells you step-by-step step how to gather people, how to host the event, what are the things you want to prepare, uh, what are kind of the resources you would need for it. And, you know, it's just a good, fun way to gather people to get to know each other and experience fashion in a more sustainable way. Um, so give it a try for yourself. Uh, that resource is online for you. Just Google Fashion Revolution, you know, like how to host a clothes swap. They have a whole guide for you. I mean, I mean, what would you say are some of the challenges that you've faced? Because you've organized so many of the uh, swap events. Are there like three key things that we need to start paying attention to if you're interested in, in organizing something like this? Okay. Um, size accessibility. So usually I like to split groups into sizes so that's easier for everyone to find fashion uh, that fits them. So I would usually have a a smaller size and then a larger size so that everyone doesn't have to kind of cross into each other. It kind of enhances the experience. Um, I focus a lot on quality because, you know, sometimes when you're doing something like that, there will be bad actors that try and take advantage of the situation. So they'll come in and they'll, they'll, they'll be, they'll have the mindset of, oh, I just want a lot of free clothes and I just want to get rid of all my crappy clothes. Um, so you got to watch out for that, you know, just set rules on like how you shouldn't bring things like that. And then, you know, do a quick spot check, uh, gather the uh, leverage on the community that is there. 
to make the experience more uh, beneficial for everyone. So usually I will use the crowd to like, hey, if you see something that's not right, just tell me, just raise it, you know, don't, because I want everyone to have a good time. I don't want someone hoarding all the good clothing. I, I don't want someone, because we want to make this a safe space for everyone to share, not for someone else to exploit. Um, so that's one way I'll do it. Uh, thirdly, you know, there's this firm promise across all of it. Um, no selling. So don't come there. Anything that you benefit from a clothes swap, you can only reshare it again so that no one is afraid that someone else is going to take their nice items and go and sell it in a secondhand market. Um, so that's kind of a few ways that I like to do it. Like very great tips and hopefully these are things that, you know, use of today can also emulate. Um, there, there are a couple of questions. I, I don't know if we have time. Like maybe we can take two to three more two two more questions for wrap up. Um, there's one question here. It's very specific. It's asking Mel. Like, do you have a favorite website that you can do for I'm really sorry, but I. It was. You I think you. Yeah, your voice yeah. is cutting out. Oh, um, sorry, there's a question here. Yeah, there's a question here on, you know, Mel, like you have a favorite website that you go to renting clothes. Oh, renting clothes. Um, I would, I won't be able to share that because we're going to be in different countries. So it won't be relevant to you if I name the ones in my country. Um, but just, you know, today I went like, oh, uh, fashion rental India and like a whole bunch came up. So just put the, the country at the end and just Google it and it will come up. Um, I hope that's helpful. I mean, like Google's your best friend, really. Yeah, I guess I, I guess we're just looking for something that's more reliable, right? Because obviously if you have a lot of thrift or secondhand stock, sometimes the quality of or that, you know, might might be, might or might not be an issue Because where I think, I think the question is, sort of trying to drive to it. But definitely do your due diligence. That's one very technical question. Like, are there any quotas for greenhouse gas emissions released by textile industry? This question that, is coming from Omar. <laughs> that's a great, that's a great uh, question, Omar. So there isn't, because even the data behind greenhouse gas emissions for the textile industry as a whole is sketchy. Like we don't actually have data on it. You know, the 8%, that is from one study. And then there are other studies that will say it's 4%. Then there are other studies that will say it's 10%. So it is actually the transparency behind the fashion industry that we have we don't have eyes on. We don't have good data. We that's why we don't know what's happening in the factories. Oftentimes, you know, factories will uh brands will only look at their first tier of factories and and kind of know the situation there but there are so many other layers in the production cycle that we're not taking into account because you know all these work gets subcontracted out and then you know there's there is a need for greater transparency in the fashion industry and that's what fashion revolution campaigns for as well uh so data behind that for greenhouse gas emissions is very hard for you for us to set quotas if we don't even know the real figures. Yeah, obviously there's a lot of challenge challenge in this. And I guess maybe just to wrap it up, right, with the last question uh, here by Tom Cosper, um, I think it's from the state. Like, what are your thoughts on recycled plastic that are used in clothing compared to sustainable costs? 
love the question. Uh, it's something that I, I, I debate all the time. It's all on a scale of relativity, I feel. So recycled plastic is polyester. It is going to, you know, it's going to release microplastics with every wash. So that's not great. Um, but if you were to compare it to virgin polyester, then it's better. Uh, especially when it comes to things like active wear, where you need things to be stretchy. Uh, so like, you know, you kind of need the, the spandex and the, the polyester involved. So then, okay, this is going to be the lesser of two evils. There are things that there are, for example, active wear that is made out of bamboo, out of, you know, cotton. And if those are available to you, awesome, then get those. So it's all about us trying to work within the framework that we have right now, the availability of resources that we have, because in our separate countries, you know, not all of us are going to be able to find a sustainable brand, a, a organic cotton active wear. Uh, or when, if it is available, it will be like a brand in the US, a brand in, in Europe, and then we'll have to ship it across the world. So that, that doesn't really make sense as well. So I would say try and seek to do as little harm as you can with your fashion choices uh, within, the, within the options that you have. Well, I think that's all the time that we have. Well, thank you very much, Mel, for you know, the great insights in your presentation on sustainable fashion. Oh, thank you so like, much. It was very inspiring. Uh, maybe well, what I'll do now is I'll just hand time back to the issue, like Ed or Karuna, if you have any closing remarks. Thank you. Thank you so much, Melissa. I think that was a wonderful presentation and Karnaji will agree with me. I mean, I have had such a great learning and um, all I would say is if you can share this presentation with us so we can share with some of our attendees, I think it will really benefit those youth ambassadors who have not been able to attend today. And I would just uh, pass it on to Karna, but before that, make a remark that I think what's really important for several youth who have joined us today uh, and what comes out is that climate literacy is so very important. It is at the core of everything we do and if we are not climate conscious in in all our daily choices i think we miss that uh, you know boat and and that is why earth day network is also pushing a lot uh, on making climate literacy part of the core curriculum and that's one of our main agendas this year uh, as a lead up to the cop 26 but i honestly feel from melissa's presentation one take, key takeaway for me has been that you know everything um, needs to be can be taken when you know you are climate conscious and you think of environment as as a way of life and not uh, not just something that is to be put in your uh, you know thought separately from your the way you live. Uh, Karunaji, your closing remarks, please. Thank you, Melissa. Thank you, Renaud. It's been totally inspirational for me, and the verdict is I am guilty. I I will have to go through my wardrobe today and. I have to confess that not only am I hoarding my own clothes, but I have hoarded the clothes of my late husband, my late father-in-law, my late mother, my late mother-in-law. So I'm going to take leave and I'm going to go through them and I'm going to see what I can do about it. Thank you for inspiring me. It's, I needed that. I needed that. You're, you're muted, Melissa. No, but thank you so much and good luck. I know that's going to be a tough thing to do and I really 
I'm, I'm really glad to hear you're going to attend. Oh, I'm going to do it straight away. Thank you. Thank you. And so if it's been so inspirational for me, I know it must be very inspirational for all those others who have been listening, not only here by Zoom, but we have it streamlined also uh, on Facebook. So we have lots and lots of people who are listening to you. Melissa, and thank you for opening our ideas series of inspiring dialogues. I hope that they inspire many, many more. Thank you very much.